Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. It's, uh, you know, not all those people are going to make it into fellowship or become a part of a church. But when you share the Lord with someone and you bring them to church and they give their life to the Lord and then you begin to answer their questions. And that's all discipleship is. You being an example and explaining the things people don't understand. Well, as that happens, people really get connected to the Lord and to us. And then God uses that in the most profound of ways. Today we begin a new two-part study that Pastor Sam has entitled, Fishers of Men. For the next two studies, we will be looking at the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5 and considering the time when Jesus filled Simon's net with fish after a night of unsuccessful fishing in the same place. So let's listen in. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're looking at the first 11 verses, title of our study, Fishers of Men. We read in Luke 5, So it was, as the multitude pressed about to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partner in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. It's important to note as we consider this passage before us that Jesus is showing us in Luke 5 exactly how he intends to reach the world. And nothing has changed as far as God's plan for touching and reaching the millions and now billions of people on the planet. First century, 21st century, the plan is the same and it's each one reach one. We're going to see that he trains 12 people to do exactly what he'd been doing. And then he trains 70 people to go out and do the same thing. And it's always the ministry of multiplication. Most of the people, by the way, that come to the Lord in Jesus' ministry don't come on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people get saved. That's a radical, wonderful experience. But most of you haven't come to the Lord in some giant, you know, Billy Graham crusade or Greg Laurie harvest crusade. Most of you came to the Lord one at a time or two at a time. And in small groups, someone talked to you, shared the Lord with you, or you came to church and you heard the gospel and you responded. It's always been this way. It will always be this way. By the way, the idea of each one reaching one, it's really rooted in the idea of discipleship. That we're not just making converts, we're making people followers of Jesus who will listen to him, respond to him, and be fruitful for him. 
So the idea is, and I don't know if you're aware of it, 6,770,000,000 people living on planet Earth at this time. Of those 2.1 billion consider themselves Christians. That's 33% of the planet. 21% are uh, uh, in, in Islam. 16% uh, consider themselves non-religious. That would be agnostics or atheists or even theists who believe there is a God but don't have anything to do with God. 14% are Hindu. Uh, only 3.2% are uh, Jewish. Um, the Sikhs, I think they've got about 3%, Buddhism, 6%, uh, Chinese traditional, 6%, and then there are some other uh, small groups. But, but the basic gist is, how are we going to reach 770 million plus the 6 billion that uh, are out there preceding them? How could we ever reach them? Well, we're not going to do it through mass evangelism. We know that. And even in the best case mass evangelism, it's, it's uh, you know, not all those people are going to make it into fellowship or become a part of a church. But when you share the Lord with someone and you bring them to church and they give their life to the Lord and then you begin to answer their questions. And that's all discipleship is. You being an example and explaining the things people don't understand. Well, as that happens, people really get connected to the Lord and to us. And then God uses that in the most profound ways. Well, we have the scene set for us in the first three verses here. The multitudes are pressing in around Jesus to, to hear the word of God. And it's a glorious picture in and of itself. You'll recall, no doubt, and we've looked at this in a couple of our past studies, that 400 years of silence between the end of Malachi to when John the Baptist comes preaching but Jesus is doing more than preaching. He's teaching and his teaching is clear and simple and profound. And and well, there's authority in it. So the people are just flocking to him. They come as he stands there by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets it's probably a small thing, not worth mentioning, but the other disciples, they call this lake the Sea of Galilee. Luke's actually been to the ocean, so he calls it what it is, a lake. And uh, so, it, you know, small thing, but again, Luke's really accurate. He wants to give us a more accurate picture of what's taking place. They'll call their boats ships. He calls them boats because they're only like 14 feet long. And if you've been to the ocean, there aren't any 14 foot ocean vessels. But here we see it. Uh, they're washing their nets. What had happened? Well, we already read it. They'd been out all night fishing. That's when they fished because the fish would come into the shallow area to get the minnows. Uh, the water's very clear, so it's difficult to fish in the day because they can see you, the fish that is. So they see you, they get spooked and they take off. These guys fished with two kinds of nets. They had a small net that you could throw personally. And then they had something called the drag net. It's where we get the word. And the drag net would be hung between two boats. And, and basically, they would just drag it along. It could be 20, even 30 feet long. And then as they pulled it in, it would just gather all those fish. They'd dump them into one boat and dump them into the other boat. So that's the, the fishing method that they're using. And these guys are preparing for the next night. They've had a miserable night. They haven't caught anything. And Peter actually testifies to that. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Probably the only true fish story ever told. But um, <laughs> bottom line is, is Jesus comes. He sees them there. They're prepared. They're persistent. They're, they are the kind of men that he can use. Now, there are a lot of things that need to change in these guys, and that's true for all of us. 
Some of us, like Peter, very self-assured, very sure of ourselves. Others, well, very timid and insecure and unsure. God uses both kinds of people. To the person who's unsure, he says, hey, it's all me anyway. To the person who's, well, self-assured, he's like, you'll learn. It's all me. And that's what Peter's learning here. Well, verse three, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat again and again and again. And I'll point it out every time because it's a serious issue. We find Jesus teaching, not just working miracles, not just healing not just preaching, but teaching, explaining the scripture. And again, the crowds were gathering to him. Why? Because they wanted to know what God had to say. And Jesus was speaking with the authority that was so uncommon in that day. He also uses some technology here. You might miss it. He goes out in the boat and he's using the still waters. And if you make it to Israel, you'll see that the, the Sea of Galilee, the lake of Galilee, it's, it's very calm. And if you've been around calm waters, you know if you go out a little ways, the water carries your voice. In fact, we live in Cal Park and, and uh, we don't live on the lake, but we live near the lake. And there are people and they, they can be seven houses away on their porch just talking and we can hear everything they're saying. And so uh, that makes us real careful when we're out on our porch, of course. But, but the deal is sound carries over the water. And Jesus knows that, of course. He made the waters. He understands how it all works. So he takes use of and makes use of the technology that existed. Hey, we're doing the same thing today. The reason that we use radio and, and television and Internet and all those mediums is that's another way to reach people. It's another way to amplify the good news of the gospel, to get it out to a needy and uh, dying world. Well, a problem arises, of course, as he stopped speaking. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, I can't help but think Simon's going to look at Peter and or, or Simon is Peter. So he's looking at Peter. He's looking in the water and seeing his reflection. But um, Simon's going to look at James and John. And, and you've you've been there and done this. You know, somebody says something. It makes no sense to you. So your eyes kind of go up and you give them one of those. All right. And, and uh, this absolutely makes no sense. Remember, these guys are professional fishermen. They fish at night because that's when the fishing's good. They fish in the shallows because that's where the fish are. And Jesus is saying in broad daylight, launch out into the deep for a catch of fish. And Peter begins to express his doubts and concerns. He, he says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. And I do think that many times, what we think to be true or know to be true, whether we learned it through experience or we learned it from others, that very thing can be the greatest obstacle to us just walking by faith, obeying the Lord. You see, these guys are professionals. There's nothing to indicate Jesus is even a novice when it comes to fishing. But he knows a little bit about fish because he made them. And uh, he's in control of his creation. And see, these guys don't yet get that and know that. And that's a part of what he's trying to reveal. Well, I think that, that this would be a little bit like if you've ever been in this situation, your car won't start, so you've got the hood up and you're working under it. And I'm going to be wise and kind to the wife. So your son says out the window, did you try kicking the tires, dad? And it's like kicking the tires to start the car. Good idea, son. And that's what this sounds like. 
Now, there was a time we could kick our tires to start our car. We had a VW van, and the only way to start it was to kick it, get it rolling. And uh, as it rolled, then it would start. But this is a little bit of a different situation. And I'm pretty convinced that, that Peter and the guys thought this makes no sense. The only reason he does it is Jesus told him to do it. And there's something in the way Jesus communicates. You know the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He calls him master. You can't say master and Lord and then say, we're not going to do it. At least he doesn't hear. So he says, well, we've fished all night and caught nothing. And nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, again, a small thing, but Jesus says, and, and see it, he says, let down your nets, plural. Peter says, I'll let down the net, singular. Does it really matter? Well, apparently it does, because when they begin to catch fish, there are so many, their net begins to break. That could be his intention from the beginning. We'll get to why in a moment. Or it could just be that when we obey, and we obey only partially, that in the midst of the blessing, there are some, you know, problems. There, there are some, uh, you know, issues that come along with our partial obedience. Well, these fishermen, of course, they know their net is essential for fishing. You should know that as well. And, and uh, at this point, they have no clue. They're not going to need that net anymore. They don't know they're not going to need those boats anymore. I mean, the next day, they're going to be on an entirely new mission for the Lord. But at this point, they're looking and they're thinking, great, the net's breaking. And now, oh, even better, the ship's sinking. And, and so it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And it's all getting worse as the Lord blesses them with the greatest catch they've ever had. And again, I see that sometimes, and this might be a help to some of you, that the Lord will bless us in ways we can't even conceive or imagine only at the end of that blessing say, okay, now I got something completely different for you. That's what he's doing here. He wants them to know that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all they ask or think. He wants them to know that with God, nothing is impossible because he's going to send them out to do the impossible. He's going to send them out to do more than they ever imagined they could or would. So they have this huge catch of fish. The very next thing we're going to see with them is, is, well, he says, hey, you leave those and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Here's the word of encouragement. You may have gone through a season where you have been faithful and you have been fruitful, but hey, now the economy's struggling and this is happening to more and more people and maybe you've gotten the pink slip. You've been laid off or you've been, you know, they have so many ways to say it. We're downsizing and we're cutting back, but the bottom line is you're being let go. Or maybe you work for the state and in a few months back, you got notice you're going to get one Friday off a month without pay and then two and now it's three and, and well, three out of 20 days, that's like a considerable amount of, you know, what you're expecting to pay your bills. My word of encouragement is this. If God begins to dry up the way you've been supporting yourself and you have seen the, the catch, you have seen that, that he can bless and has blessed you, just expect that he has something else in mind. What will that be? Hey, only he knows, but certainly it's going to be true for you as it was true for them. Well, the success, again, leads to distress, partial obedience to this unnecessary trial. So they signal to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats and they began to sink. The picture here is one of 
obedience. And, and, and let me just share a couple thoughts related to the subject. First of all, obedience brings success, at least this time. And even though it's partial obedience, it's bringing great success. And by partial, I mean, he said, cast the nets. They cast a net. Eventually, they're going to be getting more nets. They're going to be getting more boats because they're getting a catch of fish they never expected at all. And, and so Jesus wants Peter to know that obedience will bring success. But I want you to be sure that obedience is success. It isn't just that obedience brings success. And, and here's why this is so important. We're so results oriented in our culture that if somebody works really hard and they're completely faithful, but we don't see the expected or desired result, well, then we can say, well, they didn't really succeed. They, maybe they failed or, or maybe, well, here's, here's the problem with that. From God's perspective, when he gives us something to do and we do it, that's success. It's not about the outcome to him because the outcome isn't up to us. It's up to the person we're sharing with or the, the work we've done and, and then the Lord. Couple examples. Jeremiah called to preach to the children of Israel, actually down in Judah, at a very difficult time in their history. Prior to Jeremiah, Isaiah had warned that unless the people repented, they were going to be judged by God. But if they repented, then God would relent and, and there wouldn't be a judgment. Well, they didn't listen. And Isaiah spent his entire life preaching to him while Jeremiah comes on the scene and God sends Jeremiah and he says, here's the message. It's too late for the nation, but it's not too late for you. In other words, I'm going to judge this nation. There's going to be a captivity. The Babylonians are coming. And at one point he tells Jeremiah, and this is, it's so important. He says, tell them that, that when the enemy comes, if they go out and surrender, then I'll protect them and bless them. They'll go to Babylon, but I'll, I'll take care of them there and, and I'll, I'll, I'll use them. They'll, they'll not only survive, they'll thrive in the midst of the captivity. Hey, Ezekiel is one of the guys that listened. Daniel is one of the guys that listened. They end up in Babylon, but used and blessed by God, even in the captivity. But he says, if you stay in the city, you're going to die. So sometimes, well, the, the, the idea, and I started with this, it's really two points now because I went somewhere not necessarily intending, that often happens. But, uh, but, but the, my initial point is this, that, that sometimes we don't get the expected result. In other words, when Jeremiah went out, he understood not everyone was going to repent. I don't think he understood how few people would listen and that the majority of the people rejected him and they died as a result. That was grieving to him. And, and he probably felt like a failure. But I got to tell you, when he gets to heaven, God's not going to say, hey, nice try, buddy. No, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because obedience is success. The, the other side of Jeremiah's whole thing is, is that, that the people that did listen, well, they, they're going to be used by God mightily and, and blessed by God mightily. And then those people are going to come back into the land. Later, when we get into the book of Acts, also written by Luke, by the way, uh, we'll see Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. Everybody agrees. Hey, this is the most radical thing that's ever happened since like Nineveh. In Nineveh, they were a bunch of pagans we didn't really want saved. So we're not going to talk about that anyway. It's all about that 3,000 of us that got saved. But a little later on, a guy named Stephen preaches to the same basic crowd, not the ones who'd gotten saved, but those who needed to get saved. He gives the basic same message. And what happens? Instead of repenting, they, they stone him. 
They, they kill him. And, and so if, if we're all about results, we're going to say, well, Peter succeeded and Stephen failed. But that's not what God sees. And we need to see things through God's eyes. If we've been faithful, we've been faithful. And God's going to say, well done. And if things are falling apart, well, he knew that would happen. I'm thinking that this wasn't just an opportunity for the Lord. This was the perfect opportunity. This was a time where he knew Peter would be exhausted. He knew that the guys had toiled and worked hard and they'd produced nothing and, and, and that he was going to show them, hey, listen, just obey me and, and things will happen you can't even imagine because he, he wants to take us at our low point and say, I have things for you you would have never even come to me for or expected me to do. And you're not going to do it until you listen and obey. Well, in any case, this whole idea, obedience brings success. Obedience is success. The third issue with obedience is that obedience is better than sacrifice. And we learned this back with King Saul in the Old Testament. At one point, God sends him out. It's in 1 Samuel to, to wipe out the Amalekites. And he's real clear. He says, I want you to wipe out everyone. I want you to wipe out everything. So Saul goes and, and he and the people, well, they keep the best of the flocks, the best of the herds. They keep them all alive and, and they bring Agag with them. And, and Samuel comes and meets up with, with uh, Saul and, and Saul's like, hey, blessed of the Lord. I've done all the Lord commanded me to. And Samuel's like, well, what's the meaning of the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? I mean, what am I hearing if you did what the Lord told you to do? And he's like, oh, the people, they brought that stuff. Anyway, they're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. No big deal. But here's why it's a big deal. Saul was the one who was in charge. Saul was the leader. And whenever the leader misrepresents, well, the people falter and fail and, and struggle. And, and, and so Saul wasn't just sinning against God, as Peter did in his unbelief here. Saul was sinning and leading his whole people into sin. So, so Samuel kind of gets on him and he says, no, listen, God told you to, to, to wipe them all out. And then Saul does something crazy. He says, but I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. I killed all the Amalekites and here's King Agag to prove it. He is alive. He is one of them. And it's, it reminded me of Congress, you know, they do something and then they point to the very proof that they did the wrong thing and say, see, we did the right thing. And, and it's like, that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, I have obeyed the Lord. Here's the proof I obeyed the Lord. And he points to the proof he didn't obey the Lord. Well, all of that brings Samuel to say this. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. It might sound severe and perhaps it is, but I think here's what's going on. Jesus deals with such grace when he deals with Peter because Peter's at the beginning of figuring out who Jesus is and beginning to follow after Jesus. And God works that way in all of our lives. You see a new believer, new believer has all kinds of ideas that just aren't going to gel, aren't going to make it. Habits, lifestyle issues, and, and you look and think, well, how could they be a Christian and be so confused? Well, if they're a young believer, the, the only thing that deals with the confusion is getting to know the truth. So. People need to study the word. They need friends alongside to say, I'm not sure if you've ever read what the scripture says about this issue, but let me show you. 
So, so here's the deal. Peter is just getting to know the Lord. Saul is the king of God's people. He's representing the Lord. So God deals severely with him, but graciously and mercifully and slowly and, and, and wondrously with Peter. One of the things I love about the passages that we considered today is the difference between Simon's fishing efforts the evening before and then his efforts when Jesus instructed him to cast his nets again. The way I see this is that the efforts the night before were simply Simon's effort to catch fish and that being in the power of his own flesh. But when Jesus asked him to cast his nets again, he is now fishing under the power of the Spirit, under the command of our Lord, and look at the difference. We are all called to be fishers of men and understand that as we do this, we can go forth under the power of the Spirit and the direction of our Lord. We don't need to and should not try to do this under the power of our flesh. And today's story reflects what happens when we go fishing with Jesus Christ at the helm. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.